Hello, hello, Heather Jean here, Confidence to Cabaret. All things confidence is what we talk about on this podcast or vodcast. So wherever you're listening or watching from, welcome. If you're listening on podcast on audio, you can also find us on the YouTube channel, Confidence to Cabaret. Check out the vodcast playlist and you'll be able to see the video version. If you're here with us on YouTube, then check out a uh, podcast anywhere you get yours. Check out Confidence Through Cabaret. And as I say, we're all about all things confidence in your personal life, work life, or stage life. Uh, your stage life being wherever you need to show up, wherever you need to, to you know, uh, be as yourself. That could be a Zoom call. That could be a podcast. That could be social media. That could be walking into a party uh, with confidence. It's wherever you need to show up. So today, speaking of showing up, I'm so excited for this episode because very often, you know, we talk on this on this podcast about our mind-body connection. Lots of times we talk about getting into our body and how that feels. Lots of times we talk about our mindset and we talk about, you know, uh, changing our beliefs or feeling strong and, and positive or taking action that we feel positive about. But, you know, the reality is that we also have our past, right? To get to where we are today, we have a past. And sometimes we are doing the 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 thing that I hate because it's misquoted, which is the fake it till you make it thing, and we're smiling and everything's great. But of course, there is also, for most of us, some form of past pain. And for a lot of us, there is a lot of of trauma and difficulty that we need to to work through and and to to move forward authentically. So my guest today is a transformational coach for women who want to live abundantly after narcissistic abuse. So at this stage I'm just going to pause and say that if this is something that is an experience of yours, just a little bit of a trigger warning for you. Um we we won't go in too deep, but we we will be talking about narcissistic abuse. And my guest today uses techniques from neuro-linguistic programming or an NLP and, and is a mindset coach to help her clients release their traumatic, painful past and to empower them to create that abundant life, uh, one that they, they might have thought wasn't possible for them at some point. And because of her personal experience and mine, we're sharing this really special episode. Uh, my guest is a survivor and thriver that works to create space for clients and for in her own life as well. Uh, and so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, moving forward to having rich experiences without the fear of judgment or shame. Please welcome my wonderful guest, Vanessa VF. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for Thank being you. here. Yes. So so uh, how did you get into the, the work that you do with your clients? So it was a lot of what I had been through myself, um, as you as you mentioned when you just gave me that nice little introduction. Thank you. Um, before, before I started doing the work that I was doing, I was actually a money mindset coach. And I had studied fun, financial coaching and things like that. So I was doing this these things while I was in this narcissistic abusive relationship. And I didn't, I didn't actually realize that I was in a toxic relationship because for so long things just were the way that they were. And because you're so brainwashed into believing that everything is your fault, you know, so it was everything is my fault. Everything is my fault. And then when I got out of it and I started learning, um, different modalities of healing and I left the relationship and I could start thinking clearly again and have clarity and and I was at a point where I was okay am I going to continue in the way that I was what I was doing and I love all things money mindset I really do um, I love the the psychology around money and our thoughts and things like that but I had this new passion for you know what I have been through so much and one of the things that as I was going through my healing, 
one of my very close friends and she's also a mentor for me and I went through a point where it was just I was broken I couldn't I got to a point where okay I don't know what's worse is the healing worse or just actually being in that relationship worse you know and she said to me she said to me you're not going through what you're going through for yourself you're going through this and you're setting a path for others to follow and that just that really hit me so hard and I got to a point where it was like, okay, am I going to make a change and follow this and actually help other people? Because I've been through it, you know, and I, I'm very much, I'm a believer of if you go through stuff, we don't have to keep it for ourselves because we then have the ability to help other people and help other people shortcut that path. Because I learned a lot of things as I was going through the healing journey. And because of all the mindset work that I had previously done and the understanding around how our minds work and our subconsciousness and that, I could shortcut the process. So I really became passionate about this is my life work. It wasn't just I'm passionate about doing this thing. I enjoy doing this thing. But this is my life work is to help other women to be able to live abundantly after the narcissistic abuse. Wow. That is so, that is so beautiful because uh, I, I love that you make that distinction between doing the work that I'm passionate about versus doing the work that I, I know is the path. It, it, it makes sense of what you've been through. What can, just, just for anyone who isn't familiar, because that word narcissism comes up a lot now. And it's almost flippantly used sometimes, which really kind of angers me because, you know, people will say, oh, they're a narcissist. And it's like, oh, are you a, are you a, um, a clinical practitioner? Because, uh, you know, I, I don't know that people fully <clears throat> understand what that term means, narcissist. Yeah, I think if we we can almost break it into three levels. So one, there is the the clinical you have been diagnosed, you have narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and then there are people who are narcissists in the real term of being a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist. I'm just going to use the two examples when we can break that down into a much deeper level of you have not been diagnosed, but you very much you have the traits and the reason why you haven't been diagnosed is because a big thing around narcissism is that the person doesn't believe that they do anything wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. So it doesn't matter what happens. So if we think about the clinical term, there's probably about 90% of actual narcissists who've never been diagnosed. Because in order to be diagnosed, you've got to say, oh, I think I have a problem. Can you help me? And that's not what they do. And then you have other people where, um, where it's very flippant almost in a way where the term narcissist is a, I look in the mirror and I love myself. I love myself, you know. So looking at people who might be a little bit vain, you know, people who might enjoy selfies a little bit too much or things like that. Or, or just sometimes people that are just, they're just a-holes. <laughs> they just that kind of person, but they don't actually have those narcissistic traits where, where it is like, I want to hurt you on purposefully, or I'm going to hurt you in such an undercover way that you're not going to know that I'm actually hurting you. You know, so if I, if I think about explaining to somebody who has no idea of, of how this actually works, uh, if you think about two people sitting on a couch, Imagine you've just started this new relationship and you're sitting on the couch with, with your partner and you're watching a movie and it can be whatever movie you want to watch. And as you're sitting there, all of a sudden you feel this prick on your side and you're like, what's going on? What's this prick? You know, and your partner gets up and like, what's the problem? And you're like, no, I felt something pricking me. And your partner like, okay, let's look, feel on the couch. There's nothing there, right? You sit down, you're just getting comfortable again, and there you feel the prick again. And you're looking, your partner's like, what's going on? I want to watch the movie. You know, now the partner's getting a little bit annoyed. Okay, now you sit down again and watching the movie again, and you feel the prick again. And you're like, no, I swear something's pricking me. And your partner's now, now getting, no, no, there's nothing pricking you. We have checked. 
There is nothing there. But in the meantime, what's happening is this person is sitting with the pin in their finger, in their hand, and they are pricking you on purpose. So that is the easiest way that I can explain narcissistic abuse, mm -hmm. what it looks like in real terms. Because uh, unless you've been through it, you, you can't understand it because you're thinking with, with the mindset of like, this is normal way of thinking. This is normal way of behavior. So you just think, could somebody really do something like that? And the answer is yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great way of explaining it because there is that plausible deniability of, of course, I'm not pricking you. Why would I be pricking you when they are? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, oh, so I, I don't, I, I have so many directions. I'm so excited for this conversation. I, I, I guess, I guess where I really want to go um, is, is into that kind of healing beyond it. So I don't want to give too much airtime to the people who have narcissistic tendencies. Um is it mainly women? Or, sorry, is it mainly women that experience it? Is it mainly men that are narcissists? No. No. There um, are a lot of women that are also narcissists. Mm. Um, so it's not it's not a it's not a gender um, disease, if you want to call it like that. Yeah. Because you have men who are narcissists, you have women who are narcissists. Um, there isn't a. There are so many men, so many women. It's, it's just across the board. Yeah. So uh, there is a lot of stuff on online. There's a lot of stuff on, on YouTube, for example, around narcissism and how to recognize and why it occurs and all of those things. And I would say if you're sitting here wondering if you're being pricked while you're trying to watch a movie on a sofa with your partner, then I, I would definitely spend some time having a look at it it's a little bit like webmd though if you start trying to diagnose yourself by going online and looking at your symptoms just be very cautious of that i want to spend some time talking about the the, the recipient of that behavior the victim of that trauma because that's the work that you do right is in the healing of yeah. that af from that so your clients have left that relationship at the point when they're working with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they, they have made that decision and now they're trying to move on with their own life. So how, how do we do that? How do we move on from that kind of behavior or any kind of abusive behavior? Yeah. There's, there's different stages that you go through. The first thing is you have to have the awareness of, okay, something is actually happening that's not right because otherwise like I said with the pin pricking you have no evidence that there was a pin pricking you so it is so difficult sometimes in 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 your headspace to try and understand what's happening and um, if we think about there are seven stages of trauma bonding and through these different stages is kind of like that pin pricking that they're taking you through and the first stage is love bombing so what happens is you getting into this relationship, you're meeting this person and it's like, whoa, they're the knight in shining armor. I'm the Disney princess. They've just kissed me. I've woken up, woo, you know, take me away. <laughs> um, so that's the first stage that what happens. And because of all these like happiness chemicals that are being released in your brain, you actually go on this high. And what happens is you cannot think straight during this time. And that's where they where they really come in with the brainwashing and that pinpricking. Because now you, you're so in awe sitting on the couch next to this person, happy to be with them, you know, and you can't think that could it be that this person would really do this to me. And that's where the second stage of trauma bonding comes in is the trust and the dependency. Is that you get to a point where you say, well, I don't believe that this person actually would purposefully do something to me. So I'm just going to trust them. And then they start working that you start depending on them. And this might be financially. It might be just to get those happiness feelings again. You know, um, 
and you start depending on them in terms of, okay, I'm only going to share my secrets with you. I'm only going to talk to you. Um, and then in the third stage, they start with little criticisms where you start. And, and if we think about that pinpricking, what happened was they were now getting a little bit annoyed with you. Now you start thinking like, am I imagining it? Like, did this really happen? And that's the fourth stage where the gaslighting comes in because now you're questioning yourself the whole time. And, this is one of the things where it is so difficult to actually start the healing process while you are still in the relationship because of this gaslighting. Every time you think, oh, I think I know, I figured it out, then they will say something because you're trusting them now, you're dependent on them, you can't see it for what it is. And then the fifth stage is where you literally, you just hand over your control. It's just like, I'm just going to trust you no matter what. The sixth stage is you lose yourself. So that's one of the big things where we work with the healing is finding yourself again. Because everything about you, they don't want you to be the shining light because the light has to be on them all the time. So all your, your natural gifts that you have, your natural talents, those superpowers that you have, they just kind of diminish it. And then the seventh stage is addiction. So in terms of answering your question with the healing, what happens is there's, there's, a three, there's three um, places where you get trauma bonded. The, the one is in your mind. So it's psychological abuse. There is brainwashing that has happened. The second one is at an emotional level. So the way that you get triggered and the way that you react and your, your mental state, those kind of things. And then the, the last one is physical. There is a physical addiction that happens because you're not actually addicted to that person. It's those highs that you're feeling and the lows the whole time and trying to get back to that high the whole time, trying to back, get back to, oh, I'll do anything for them if they will just love me like that again. You know, because in the beginning, you saw this person as your hero. And then through down the line, they're not your hero anymore, but you need them to be your hero again. Yeah. So in terms of the healing, I work in all three of those places with my clients. So the first thing is you have to be aware. Yeah, this has happened to me. So maybe as I've just quickly, I mean, I've, I've gone really quickly through this, but you might be saying to yourself, wow, okay, that resonates with me. So as soon as you have that realization, that's, that's the point where healing can begin. So helping my clients to uncover the brainwashing. Because you have, I call them blind spots, where you don't realize what you've actually been going through. Because you're always trying to please them. You're always trying to appease them. You know, like, let's not trigger them. Let's not say that. Let's not do that. And that just becomes like a natural behavior for you. And unless that gets changed and turned around and some of it just cut off and broken off, you will go through life doing the same things and in turn possibly ending up in those relationships again. Yeah, and I have. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um. And that is part of the addiction. And I, I've never really thought about it in those terms, but that is part of the, the attraction to the next person for me anyway. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. kind of like, I'm feeling bad from, from the past. And now here's this love bombing coming up and this feels wonderful. Yeah. That's it's toxic. It's called toxic familiarity. Because what happens is you, you so used to, this is the way it was in the relationship. And then you step out into the next relationship. And maybe it's like you look at it and you'd be like, oh, this is planned. There's no spark. Not interested in this person because you want that familiarity. You want to feel that high again. You know, and that's where a lot of women get themselves into trouble for a second and a third time. And yeah, and that whole, I mean, the, you know, the, the hormones that are going on in, in, a, in a bonding situation anyway it, are powerful, you know, the pow as powerful as any other drug, you know, that oxytocin, that whole bonding piece. And if you get addicted to that, then it gets really difficult to just kind of 
meet people at a normal level and not have to to have that um, that high. So that losing yourself is probably the biggest trauma for me uh, in my my own personal experience is that um, you you give over your identity almost you're you're walking on eggshells as you say you're you know you're you're doing things for to please the other person to get that that feeling back and i think uh that losing yourself is where for the for certainly for the work i do the clients are trying to get that confidence back again or trying to reconnect with confidence and when we lose ourselves, it is such a, a tragic thing because we're not following our passion as you, you know, are now doing. You know, you're following a, a, a path of life's work, and it ignites something in you in very different ways. And I want that confidence for everybody. You know, I, I feel like everybody deserves to show up and take up space. But I know that for a lot of years, I didn't take up space because it upset my partner. You know, it was one of those kind of like, oh, I'm I'm being too big, and too, and so and so we shrink, and it's not the only reason why we shrink, but it it, it is, um, you know, what one of the things that happens. For you, what what do you see in either in your own work or your experience that is the most difficult thing to overcome? I think it depends on where they are at in the yeah. process. Um, I I have what I call three three states of of healing. And when we talk about state, I talk that's your emotional state, you know. So the first one is is victim, where you're very much either still in the relationship or you've kind of just left the relationship, but you're still in that victim state. They did this to me. They did this to me. They did this to me. They did this to me, which, yes, they did. Okay. But you, if you stay there, you stay broken, you stay stuck, and you just you just stay hurting. Where the next the next state is going into survivor. So now it's you realize like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to feel this anymore. So now I want to start working on my healing. And I want to start, it's not so much, I'm not gonna learn everything about narcissists and I'm not gonna be Googling about them and I don't need to understand what they did to me anymore. But now I'm starting to take responsibility. It's like I always say that the the trauma was not your fault. What they did to you was not your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. So that's that second point where people start saying, okay, well, I'm going to now take responsibility. How do I live better? You know, what do I need to do to heal? And then the third one is obviously abundance, where that's where the process that I take my clients through is that now you're living in abundance, okay? You don't have to be trying to be confident. You just naturally are confident because you've taken these other things away. Um, so depending on where they are really depends. Um, it's it's really difficult to say what is the most difficult thing. Because mm. first, when you're still a victim, I would say the addiction is is possibly the most difficult. And a lot of times people don't even understand it as physical addiction. So they're trying to fix something in their head. Let's do positive affirmations, positive affirmations, or I'm going to journal the crap out of this, you know. <laughs> but no, there's a physical addiction that you have to deal with. Exactly the same if you were an alcoholic or dependent on drugs, whatever it is. So there's a different way of working with that. And then I'd say in in the the healing, there's so many different stages. I talk about the eight stages of healing. So you go through these different stages, and each stage has its own little. Okay, this is the worst for me, you know, and this no, this is the worst, this is the worst. But at the end, you get to this place where, as you talk about confidence, um, I've had a lot of people come to me and they say, "How can I be more confident?" And it's it's not something that you add on. No. It's rather, let's look at, okay, well, what are the things that is either masking your confidence or taking your confidence away? And let's remove those things. It's the same. Clients will come to me and they'll be, I have such terrible anxiety. Because I've been in isolation for so long, I'm struggling to be with people. 
you know. So let's rather focus on, okay, let's go back to a little bit of the brainwashing before we try and focus on the anxiety because that's where it sits. The anxiety is just a symptom. Yeah, that's really that's that's really good insight because I, I can only experience it from my own experience and my own situation and, and, and where I struggled. And what you're looking at is is beyond your own experience. You're looking at where, where other people are at. I know uh, I had coaching uh, from from someone who said, you're still in victim mode. And I was quite offended. And I thought, no, I'm not. I certainly was. I just, I, I just couldn't see it. I just, you know, I felt like I was, I felt like I was surviving and I felt like I was, I was, you know, kind of moving forward. Um, and I think, you know, this is important work to do the deeper work, you know, because I was appearing in abundance because I was appearing like I, I was, you know, I had survived it and it was behind me now, but I wasn't, I was still in victim mode. Uh, I just, I just hadn't dealt with it. And I think, you know, for me, certainly COVID was a, a big awakening because as an extrovert being removed from people was a, was a big deal. And that meant that I had to get quiet and go in and experience all of those. And that's when I, when I found there were, there were a lot of, a lot of things still holding on to. So I had some abundance. I certainly had survived because I was still there, but I hadn't actually moved past that first step properly, fully. And so yeah. I kept falling back into that uh, feeling of victim. Um, and I think that, you know, for, for a lot of things, not, not just for narcissistic abuse, a lot of us live our life as that kind of, you know, victim of, you know, what happened to me as a child, you know, even even if you had a wonderful childhood, you know, what happened, what programming you got, how that serves you, how, how you choose to move forward, all of those kind of things come up. Um, so a lot of us live in that victim state without being fully aware of that. Okay, how do you get to abundance and know you're at abundance? Well, if we think about, I'm going to take you through the eight stages of healing, because I okay. think that would be the, the easiest way to, to explain the process. So in the first, the first stage is awareness, that great awakening. Okay. And that can be, I mean, I know we're talking about narcissistic abuse, but we can relate that to anything in our life. That great, you have this great awakening, this moment that, okay, things aren't right. And so in the in the narcissistic abuse, what happens is you then have this big investigation and you go and say, okay, what happened to me? How did this happen? Why did this happen? And you do all the searches and you learn as much as you can. Then the next stage is what happens is, so you feel hopeless in a sense because you realize that one, it wasn't you. You are not to blame for everything. And number two, you realize they're not going to change. So what happens is sometimes you might have been discarded. Um, so what do I mean by this is that you were in a relationship with a person and they just disappear. Boom, they just left you. And you left there and you're like, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. We were going to renew our vows or we were going to get engaged or we were going to go away on holiday, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's over. You know, so people get discarded and then they go through those three, those three things. Or what might have happened is you had this awareness while you were still in the relationship. You realized what's going on. You started the investigation and then you get to the next moment, which is what I call the leave or die moment. So this is the moment that you realize in your life. If I don't leave this relationship, I am going to die. It's either going to be a physical through that person, or it might be self-inflicted. I got to a point where I was extremely suicidal. Nobody knew it. I mean, if people looked in on my life, they would have seen me as like, oh no, everything's happy-go-lucky, but I was extremely suicidal. Um, or what happens is if you've already been discarded, let's say they left you, you get to a point where you realize, if I stay in this state, which is the victim, because those first three leaves you in the victim place. If I stay in this, I'm going to die. 
So maybe not a physical death, but you realize like emotionally, you're never going to grow. Physically, you're never going to grow. Financially, you're never going to grow. And um, emotionally, you're never going to grow. You know, so you get to that point. And then the next one is the healing chaos. That is the point where you've got to do the healing. And this is the part that a lot of people actually stay in the victim state because they don't want to do the healing. That was me. If I can just avoid it and not deal with it and just like you spoke about earlier, fake it until you make it, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to live the life. I'm going to pretend to be happy. And eventually that's going to show up in my life because that's what law of attraction teaches us, which is not hundred percent accurate because there is work that we have to do. Mm -hmm. So I call it a healing chaos because you go through, you go through sadness, anger, regret, guilt. You have all these different emotions, but unless you deal with them, um, and I have like different tools that I work with clients in dealing with it, because on some things um, through NLP, we can actually remove emotional charges from memories. So you get to the point where you have the memory of whatever that, that thing was that happened to you, but you don't need to feel it anymore. You don't have to, when you have the memory, relive it. You don't have to have the trauma anymore because that can be broken off. Um, so in my one-to-one -one work, I will do that very specifically with clients. But there's a lot of healing that can be done where I call it self-therapy through journal prompts. In one of my programs that I have, I give you 30 journal prompts that you work through in a month. And those, they specifically prompted to take you through the healing process. If you do the work, of course. I mean, you can look at it and say, okay, I'm going to answer the question, but not do the work. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. And then I've done that several times. <laughs> I think everybody goes through that. And, and I think a point that I want to make also is that, you know, that victim state that sometimes you need to be there, but you don't need to stay there. Yeah. Because a lot of times women might even feel like, okay, well, I can't be a victim because I have these dreams and these goals and these aspirations. So I just got to move through this so fast. And then they try and move through the healing, move through the victim and live this, but you can't fully encompass this until you've released and let go of all these other things. So then, then we go into the living abundantly. And that is where in the stage of healing, we're looking at, I call it dare to dream again. Because when you're in this toxic relationship, they destroy your dreams. You cannot have dreams. And if you do have dreams, it will just get squished and minimized and things like that. So taking you through that process of daring to dream again. Because that is, that is the beginning of living abundantly. Is when you can look at the world and say, well, okay, there's actually so much opportunity. There's so much available. What do I really want for my life? And then the next, um, the seventh stage is creating a new vision for your life and your identity. So that's where you start doing the work on your identity. Because you can't really do the work on the identity when you still have all this healing chaos going on. Because that is, it's almost like if you think about, um, I was watching this YouTube video the other day about this plane that went up over the clouds. And the clouds were so thick under the plane that you couldn't see, you couldn't see the ground at all. So almost if you think about the ground being you and your identity, and these clouds is that healing chaos. You know, so until this is, is diminished and worked through, you can't properly work on your identity because you're going to have this clash with the clouds the whole time. You know, this is going to come up. And then the eighth, the eighth stage, and this is living abundantly, is where every single day of your life, you're waking up and you feel as though you're in abundance. You don't need to necessarily have all the money in the world. It's that state, that feeling of I am abundant, waking up in the morning. I'm so grateful I woke up in this bed today. I'm so grateful I can go to sleep in this bed. I have this, I have that. You know, so it's just, it's living every single day in that space and yes you can't live in happiness 
24-7. Things are going to happen. But as the things happen, they're going to come in and you're going to release them out. You're not going to come in, stay stuck here for a month or 10 or 20 <laughs> and then release them. It's going to be, you're going to see it. You're, you're, it's almost like you're going to have a different um, vision. Well, not even vision. Your, your eyesight is open to something different in your life where it's I get to do these things versus I have to do these things, yeah? Yeah, that's, that's, that is such an important shift between those. And it's not just words. It, it really is that, that deeper sentiment of I get to do these things. I am, I am truly abundant. Um, and it's interesting that we think of abundance as money very often. It's kind of like, oh, well, I'm not abundant because I don't have all the money in the world. But, you know, that, that yeah. And I know that that speaks to your 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 other passion around money mindset as yeah. well. Um, so they, they go together very well. How how do how how do we rebuild trust in our own judgment? Because I've done this three times now where I've gotten into these relationships situations trusted i'm i am overly trusting so i use a lot of carl jung tools um you know insights and myers-briggs and those kind of things and always my profile comes up with optimistic and it's always on my weaknesses list and the founder of of uh, of insights which is a profiling tool said to me this is this if you don't want it there, you can cross it off, but it won't make it go away. You are overly <laughs> optimistic. And I, I struggled with that for over 10 years. I, I thought, hey, you can't be overly optimistic. The world is wonderful. It's because I wasn't living in that awareness. And as soon as I was, I thought, okay, now I see why I'm overly optimistic. But so I have that innate in me that I'm optimistic and overly trusting. I, I trust somebody instantly. But you know, at some point you have to be able to recognize the patterns and you have to learn to trust your own judgment again. How, how do we get to that space of where's, at what stage does our trust in ourself and our judgment come back or start over? Well, it's, it's completely back when you're living abundantly, because that's when, like you say, you can see the patterns, you can see the red flags, you can see the things happening. But you're also so connected to yourself and your own intuition that even when you just get that little bit of a gut feeling, you say, no, I'm going to trust myself. Um, but that's that's kind of like the final stage. That's where we all we all want to be, right? But it's it's about just in the small things. So first off, it's that awareness. So being aware of, looking and this is part of of the healing um, process that you go through is is not just the healing myself but looking at okay where were the places that I fell where were the triggers that got me to be attracted to this to this person to this thing um, it's like if we just think about that first that first stage of trauma bonding the love bombing Let's say, for instance, you you want to get into another relationship and you start dating and things. The moment, if you have the awareness and the moment you have that awareness and being like, whoo, this feels fantastic. I want to be with this person. Just having the awareness that, okay, this could be love bombing or it could just be like wonderful feelings. And then stepping out of that and almost looking in from another place and saying, okay, I know what I'm feeling. But what are they saying and what are they doing? Because the toxic person will always give themselves away, always. But when you're in that rush, you don't see the red flags and you don't see those things. So as part of the healing, you could be writing down things that was that you not because when you look back, lovely thing that Steve Jobs says, he says, you can only join the dots backwards. So when you go back and you say, okay, well, what was it that got me? And you start making notes of these things because now you have mental awareness. And then what you do is you kind of make a promise to yourself because in the beginning, when you come out of this place, 
you have no trust for yourself, none whatsoever, because they put you in such a place where you are always second guessing. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do? If I do this like this, if I say this, like, should I use this? Oh no, but if I use these words, it can be twisted. And you know, you have this constant forwards and backwards in your mind the whole time. So you have no trust for yourself. But once you have this list, you can slowly start reprogramming and reteaching yourself to trust yourself because now you might get in that situation and it might not necessarily be with another partner. It could be in a job situation. You go for a job interview and this person has just almost love bombed you in a way. Oh, we love your CV. Yes. You're going to be so fantastic in this position. And, you know, and you just step back out of it and you say, okay, are there some things here? So very logically and very much in a, in a very strategic way, teaching yourself to trust yourself again. Say, okay, this is my list. Is anything here? These are my boundaries. Are they pushing against my boundaries? And then I'm going to trust myself. And then usually what happens is you trust yourself in something and then something will happen and be like, ah, you see, I was right. And then slowly you start teaching yourself to trust yourself again. And the more you do that and the more frequently you do that in all the situations on your, in your life, the easier it becomes where you get to the place in that abundance state where it's just you feel something, like something's not right here. They're saying all the right words. They're doing all the right things. But I just there's just there's something and you just trust yourself. So it's yeah. just it's a process exactly the way that the process was broken down that pinprick little pinprick little pinprick little pinprick it's not it doesn't happen overnight i love that that's a work that's that's my work that's my own personal life work is 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 in that because um i'm at i'm at that point where i well first of all i need to take the time for myself i think that's that's a, a really important thing um, but also, I would rather be on my own than, than go through that again. So it's almost like, a, okay, so I'm just going to hang out on my own. I'm really happy how this works. It's spending time with friends and, and you know, and so on. Um, and and that ultimate learning to trust again, I am at the questioning stage about, do I even need to, to be in a relationship? Like, I, I need to learn that, you know, in terms of in terms of work life and, and so on. But, but just to be able to... Um, I don't know. I'm kind of happy on my own right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a it's a it's a work in progress, and, and and I guess it's it's also for me part of that programming about is this just programming that I'm supposed to be with somebody else? Like, do I really have to be? You know, is it is it is it actually what I want, or is that something that I've been told that so I I have to you know get pick myself up again, dust myself off, figure it all out, and then go back out there again? It's like, ah, do I though? Do I, is, or is that just what I've been fed? And that's now what I, I think I believe. So that's an interesting thing as well about what's, what's right for us. You know, I grew up believing that I would have children and I have no regrets. I loved it. I would have made that choice to have children, but I don't, I never actually made the choice. Do you know, cause so much of it's our programming, right? Of like, yeah. this is what you'll do and this is who you'll be. And I love that opportunity and space to really kind of, explore who is it that I am you know and after a long time of trauma that's that's a, a a real pleasure and it's it's um you know it's something that we often take for granted of having that space to discover who we are yeah I think in in general life is so hectic and we're busy 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 all the time that you don't have the space. And then people are always just like, oh, I'm too busy. Well, you have to make the space. Yeah. Unless you make the space, it's not going to happen. It's like a lot of times um, what I find, um, women will be going through the healing, but they're trying to speed it up. And I'll be like, you know what? Maybe you need to just stay in bed with your PJs and have a bottle of popcorn or something that you enjoy and just binge watch something. Yeah. Maybe that is exactly what you need. You know, just so that because all of this brainwashing that's been happening and you've got all of these things and now you've got to realign all those things and you've got to recreate create all these neural pathways. And but sometimes you just got to stop. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not even that you have to sit and journal and sit and do something, but just stop. Yeah. Go sit in the forest and just sit. Like, don't do anything. Don't be in a rush to go anywhere. Just sit. Focus on listening to the birds and listen to the noises the trees are making. And, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah. That, that, that's a red flag when we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I did for for decades. Just avoid it. Just be busy and be, you know, doing other things. And that time to sit and in the forest or watch Netflix just seemed like a waste of time. And actually, it, the reality is, in hindsight now, it wasn't a waste of time. It was just that I didn't. It would have brought up all kinds of stuff that I didn't want to face. Yeah. Sometimes it's also the programming. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if, if I would sit, I love I love reading. Um, I don't read novels and things. So it's all personal development stuff. I love that. But if I would sit and read a book, it I, I was told I was wasting time. You know, I should be doing something all the time. So there's also that programming when you're in that toxic relationship where you can't just do something for yourself. You know, so you almost feel guilty. You know, I have to be I have to be busy with the kids, or I have to be busy with this person, or I have to be busy with my work, or I have to give to everything else, you know? Yeah. And and there's that saying that says you you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. You have to fill yourself first. Yeah. So who is it that you know? Because I, I pretty much, I don't read novels either. I I wish I did. But who who are your who are your favorite uh self-help kind of authors at the moment oh my gosh that would be like like so difficult to say so i would read anything nlp related basically um i love dr joe dispenza his work just Mm -hmm. around neuroscience and things like that um oh my gosh you're asking me a trick question now (laughs) (laughs) no it's just wonderful because i mean i i love i i I did a lot of work with richard bandler uh for many years and I love to read Richard Bandler because he writes how he talks. So it's very yeah. conversational tone um, as opposed to John Grinder, who, who, you know, is another what would be called, I guess, grandfather of NLP, who is much more academic. I just can't read it. It's like it's like it's like reading about paint drying. I just find it way just just too reflective and dry but um i have a self-help pile next to me right here and i have eckhart tolle here and i have a book i picked up at the weekend that i'm i'm reading now from the dalai lama and you know so which is which is the closest thing i think to a novel i can get right now because it's just a conversation with dalai lama and desmond tutu and it's just kind of their their reflections on on their faith and their their life paths and and i love Um, and so it's like, okay, so that's almost a, a novel because it's not, it's not really a, a self-help thing in, in, in uh, definitive terms. Um, I, I love Brené Brown. I love, oh my goodness. I mean, it goes on and on and on. That's why I asked you because I, I'm, I'm always interested in, in authors that uh, Joe Dispenza is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, I really enjoy his work. Um, yeah, it's so it's so difficult to pinpoint because it depends on where in your journey you are. And I just have a love. I had a love for books before I had a love for reading. So I would just always buy books. And um, yeah, in Ireland, you get such treasures, old books at the charity shops. So I'm always in the charity shops and taking like a whole pile of books and then I get to read them when I do. Um, so there's just there's there's always something. But I think that is, it's so important to be educating ourselves and to be learning new things and new ways. And that's part of that abundance. And I know not everybody likes reading, but I mean, we've got Audible, there's YouTube, you can listen to books on YouTube. There's just so much information everywhere that people just don't have excuses anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fully, fully with you there. Okay, so Vanessa VF, if you were going on a cabaret stage and you were going to perform something, what kind of performance would you do? How would you express yourself in front of an intimate audience? That is a very interesting question. I don't know. 
I did do the can-can once when I was in school. It was a show we had to put on. I was in primary school and we had to put on the show and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I think I'd probably do something like that. That's <laughs> really fun. The, the, the best that I can come up with right now in terms of just in my own memories and things, um, what I know about cabaret and the yeah, but, yeah so, so more through your body than through something like singing or you know but ex expression and uh, physically yeah if if i was going to be singing the crowd was leaving yeah i mean <laughs> it's I, funny because I, I wouldn't ever sing in front of people ever not even karaoke and people say oh that's a fear and I, for a long time i thought i need to overcome this fear i actually don't because it's not a fear I love singing. It's important for our skeleton to to have that that sensation, and and it's something that everybody can do. Singing on key is a different story, um, yeah. and and it's not actually. I, I've recently realized I don't. It's not a fear. I just don't want to sing in front. Of, I don't want to learn that, but I do love singing. I just um, yeah. But having said that, though, people think that dancers have to have rhythm, and I don't. And I don't remember choreography. So the fact that you could do something like Can Can, which is quite choreographed, is impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got I've got rhythm there. I can I can say, you know, I can dance. <laughs> um, the singing, I, not so much. So I think that's why I would do like maybe the Can Can. And even I think I think what I really enjoyed about that was that little bit at the end, you know, the naughty bit, you turn around, lift your skirt up. You know, there has to just be that that's a little bit of that element of of me, you know, yeah, where, where there is that little naughty streak. You know, there is that bringing bringing out everything about yourself. You know, I love that. I love that. And what if you had a prop with you, what one prop would you have? Magic wand. <laughs> oh, fabulous. That's really cool. Because a lot of times people will say like a, you know, a big fan or something, where, which is which is about hiding behind something. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And you're talking about something that, well, first of all, I mean, I'm holding a pen here now, but you can't hide behind that. It's not going to hide any part of your body. It's not going to, it's, it's not going to be any kind of a reveal. It's powerful. I love that. Yeah, that, that's that's one of the things that when I think about NLP, and so a lot of my healing came through NLP. I, I worked with um, a couple of different coaches. Um, so in my healing, I worked with coach, I worked, I did NLP, I did hypnotherapy, and I worked with a psychotherapist. So I was like, I was all in. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I have to get through this and we got to do the work and we, you know, so, but my biggest breakthroughs came through NLP mm -hmm. and that for me is almost like a magic wand yeah. because when you have this experience this emotional experience that you feel like you keep reliving or you have this where you have this person's ear is this person's voice in your ear the whole time you know you're useless you can't do that you'll never be anything you know and with NLP you can literally just shut it up yeah and it's just non-existent anymore you know and and i think that's where with the magic wand you know it's that whole that transformation that can happen in an instant yeah absolutely absolutely i use nlp a huge amount for imposter syndrome and again it's that same kind of shutting up the voices yeah, yeah. so yeah i love what you're saying there okay and if you were creating a stage persona what would your stage name be your wow Stage name. Now you got me thinking. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So, so for for a lot of people, and this will certainly come up in NLP as well, around you know, kind of changing the voices and the tones and the you know, you can make your your voice and your inner critic into a cartoon character, and you know, oh, yeah. and speed it up and slow it down, and and all of those things. That's why I asked that question. Um, and for a lot of us, a name will come up that, uh, you know, we think, oh, I couldn't possibly say that. Like, you know, I'm going to be Queen Heather or whatever. I couldn't possibly say that. I can't claim that much power and that much, you know, uh, unapologetic space. 
And yet uh, there is that inner knowing of, yes, but there is this power. There is this, you know, I'm going to do the can-can. There's going to be this naughty element. I'm going to be, I mean, you've got to be huge. You've got to take up all the space if you're doing something like can-can. And you're you're there with your powerful magic wand. There is an expression of that. And, and that's, and, and I, I ask for, for people to harness that energy and give it a name the same way you can give a name to your inner critic or to your imposter voice or to, you know, whatever, whatever is coming up that, that we want to harness. And I love the idea of harnessing that power and fierceness and unapologetic, naughty, space-taking energy as well because we can tap into that anytime we want to yeah and that's why I asked that question I think for me like I struggle to put a name to that because that just feels authentic to me beautiful I can't give it a different name well and maybe it isn't outside of me you know maybe it's Vanessa yeah do you know it doesn't have to be a different name I mean it's you know a, a lot of times it's I'm showing up as me and that feels great. And that feels powerful and fierce and however I want to be. Um, I used to think that wearing high heels gave me a lot of power. And then I realized I don't have to put the heels on. And same with lipstick. I love pink lipstick. And I would say, well, if I have my pink lipstick and I have my heels on, and in the 90s, if I had my shoulder pads as well, even better. <laughs> uh, but actually, you don't have to have all of those things nice. to be able to harness that same energy and that same fierceness. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a powerful in NLP. What you can do is in terms of creating the states and the state changes. Mm-hmm. Because exactly what you're saying is like if I put my heels on, I'm in a different state in terms of the work that I do and things like that versus when I put my, again, okay, South Africa, we call them tackies, so trainers, yeah. um, my running shoes. If I put them on, I just naturally feel more energetic mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, I've got the right shoes on. Whereas with the high heels, I feel almost more professional in a way, yeah. not, not stuck up in a box kind of, but it's like, I feel uh, I want to work now, you know, yeah. and we, we don't have to have the shoes to do that. We can create those states within us where we can just be like, okay, I want to be in my energetic state. I want to be in my, now I've got clarity and focus and do my work kind of state, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that, that whole, um, the, the, the kind of stage name is the analogy for, for setting up that anchor of, you know, stepping into that, that same power. So, oh, thank you for sharing all of this with us. My goodness. I, I, I feel like I need to go back and and just kind of go back through the stages and do some personal reflection as well because of course when we're having this conversation it is for our listeners and and for for you know other people to to learn from if somebody wants to learn more about your work or get in touch with you how can people find you Vanessa VF well if they go vanessavf.com um, that's probably the easiest place because you'll you can connect with um, social media on there. You can message me from the website. Um, so that's probably easiest if you want to connect with me on social media. It's just Vanessa VF Coaching. Um, that on all the platforms, so you can connect with me there too. Brilliant. I will put all of your connections into the show notes as well. Of course, if you want to get in touch with Vanessa and for some reason you can't, you can always get in touch with me, Heather Jean, and I will put you in touch because, you know, I'm all about, uh, you know, collaborations and and helping people find what it is that enables them to live that confident, authentic life. So I really love this conversation, Vanessa. Thank you for all so much that you've shared with us. Uh, Do get in touch with Vanessa if there are things that you even just want to discuss she's she's very easy to have a conversation with i can i can tell you that for sure uh so you know get in touch and just just have that conversation and and uh, see if you're the right fit for one another thank you so much for being here vanessa thank you so much for having me i really appreciate that
Oh, it's a pleasure. We are confidence through cabaret on all of the socials. And you can, if you Google it, there's about two pages of confidence through cabaret contacts. Uh, confidence through cabaret is our member site. You'll find masterclasses, new masterclasses and workshops going up every month. Uh, the only place that we are not confident through cabaret is Twitter. We are at YBYWYS. And on Clubhouse, I am at Heather YBYWYS. And the six wonderful letters stand for it is your body. And it is your world. And it is your stage. Take up space and own it and enjoy that feeling of unapologetically being in your space thank you all so much for being here thank you again Vanessa thank we'll you. see you next time bye, bye. bye.